Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian, and before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to let you all know that Spotify is now allowing you to rate podcasts. This is great for podcasts, and it'll really help get the podcasts into more ears. So I know a good few of you listen on Spotify. So at the end of this episode, if you just click on the rate and give us five stars, I'd really appreciate it. Really helps the show, you know. Now, my guest this week is Calvin Smith, a singer-songwriter who happens to have a very interesting podcast. His podcast is called Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. It's about ancient technology. I've always been fascinated with that kind of thing. So if that's something you're interested in, you're going to love this episode. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hey, Calvin, you're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ryan. No problem. No problem. I'm glad to have you on. So uh, you've got a, a very interesting podcast. I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Um, yeah, my podcast is Unquestionable with Calvin Smith, and um, it's or Unquestionable Podcast on YouTube. And um, so I, I've always kind of been a bit of a history and science nerd. I, I, I'm the kind of guy who sits down and reads, um, you know, school science and history books for fun. Um, my my wife thinks that I'm crazy, but, um, yeah, so, so I, I like to read all that boring stuff and just to know more about our past. And, um, I've just always been enthralled by the, the theory. Uh, if, if you're not familiar with, authors like uh graham hancock brian forrester brian forrester i had on my podcast um at some point um so it's more so kind of looking into the possibility that these ancient people may have had some sort of technology that we lost at some point or maybe we have right now and we just don't realize that they had it that long ago um and it's just kind of figuring out the mystery of you know human origins when did we start why do we decide to you know, civilize and, you know, make cars and, you know, how, how do we get to where we are today? Um, it's kind of what my podcast is about. And then I, I'm a, also a history nerd. I've read the Bible, but I'm, I'm atheist myself. And so I, I talk about, um, my point of view from, uh, you know, religions and uh, I'm once I'm back from my hiatus, um, which is what I'm doing right now, I'm, you know, getting this room all set up so I can start recording again. And, um, once I'm back from my hiatus, I plan to cover a lot more religious topics because the majority of what i've covered is either paranormal like aliens ghosts um or ancient technology but uh, yeah it's kind of the gist of my podcast it's nothing music related <laughs> <laughs> right, right. it's very interesting though i've always um been interested in history anyway but as well the whole concept that they might have had technology i've kind of 
I suppose I've leaned more towards the sort of paranormal or the alien side right, of it. Right. But I've often heard people saying, if we tried to build the pyramids today, we wouldn't have the technology to build them. Or, you know, even the Romans take their roads, how well made they are. And then you look at our roads today and like six months after they're built, they're falling apart. You know, exactly. what are some of the most interesting things you've found out along the way? Well, so, so I made a TikTok account. Okay. And so I, I, if anyone wants to follow me on TikTok, it's unquestionable Calvin on TikTok. And I post uh, during my hiatus, I've kind of been posting small, you know, clips and stuff there to kind of keep, you know, my audience, you know, getting, getting a little yeah. something from me while I'm gone. Um, and so I've been actually, so my biggest thing is the Sphinx. Um, I'm very enthralled by the Egyptian Sphinx and there's a documentary out that's called um, the Mysteries of the Sphinx. And it came out in, I think 1997, if I'm not mistaken. And it talks about the evidence that these, the great Sphinx is um, older than modern academia is, is making it out to be. So nice. uh, for example, uh, the minister of antiquities, in Egypt uh, at the time, his name was Dr. Zahi Hawass. I think it's a different guy now who's a little bit more open to the idea of things, but he came to the conclusion that the Sphinx is about 4,500 years old, um, built in the time of Pharaoh Shefrin, um, and you know during that time. So that's kind of the the common consensus that you would read in any history book today. But a guy named John Anthony West who passed away in I think 20. 18 or 2019, um, he actually went to the Sphinx and he he just felt like the, the way the Sphinx was constructed was not, it, it didn't make sense to how, you know, it's made out of pure bedrock. It's 60 feet under in the bedrock. So you walk up to the Sphinx and you're actually eye level with the Sphinx. And then you have to look down into the Sphinx enclosure to like see the entire body of the Sphinx below. So it's actually in the bedrock. Um and he noticed that around the Sphinx enclosure on the inside, there was weird erosion that was going on. It wasn't wind erosion like it should have been if, you know, because obviously there's no water. But the problem was that there was significant water erosion on the Sphinx and in the Sphinx enclosure. And that's not possible if it was built only 4,500 years ago because there wasn't that amount of precipitation at that time. The last time there was, was at least nine to 10,000 years ago. So. He brings in professional geologist, Robert Schock. He's also a skeptic about it. He wasn't super, he was like, come on, you know, and Sphinx, it's, it's 4,500 years old. This is old news. But he figured John Anthony West was going to pay for his ticket to Egypt. Okay, sure. Free trip to Egypt and I get to look at the Sphinx. Why not? So he, uh, he goes to Egypt and he said within three minutes of looking at the Sphinx, he knew for a fact it had to be at least 9,000 years old based off of the erosion. Um, he said almost immediately after looking at it in person, um, they go into this in great detail in the documentary mysteries of the Sphinx, which is available on YouTube too. You can actually type it in on YouTube and find it. Um, and I actually did a whole podcast talking about the age of the Sphinx and this documentary and everything. And they actually present this evidence to, uh, like a, like a peer reviewed type of conference and they get laughed out of the auditorium. And it's funny because they're like, you know, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? But, you know, Robert Schock and John Anthony West are like, we're literally showing it to you. It's literally right here. <laughs> um, 
so yeah, that's that's one of the smoking guns for me is is the Egyptian Sphinx. Not to mention that the the head of the Sphinx is you know it, it used to be a, a lion's head. It's it's theorized to be a female lion, and the head of the Sphinx is said to be a depiction of Pharaoh Shephren, the person who built the Sphinx, quote unquote. But Dr. Frank Domingo, who is um, a detective for the the New York um, Department of Justice, he actually did a facial analysis on it and determined that there's absolutely no resemblance to Sheffrin whatsoever. Um, so there's why would why would they not carve who is like Pharaoh or whatever into the Sphinx? So that's that's the biggest smoking gun for me is that the fact that the Sphinx has significant evidence that it's upwards of 10,000 years old and it doesn't even look like the Pharaoh that they're claiming built it. Um, the only reason why they're saying that the um, that that Pharaoh built the Sphinx is because there was actually a statue of him that was found directly next to the Sphinx. Right. That, that's the only reason they're like, Oh, th- well, his statues here. So it must be him. Must be him. It's like, it's not like there's statues of tons of other Pharaohs everywhere. Or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's just talking about, you know, Egypt. That's not even including like Peru has a ton of really, um, you know, with like elongated skulls, people with elongated, naturally elongated skulls. Yeah. Very weird stuff. And that's what I talked about. Brian Forrester, one of the researchers um, talking about ancient lost technology. I had him on my second episode of my podcast and, you know, we talked about the elongated skulls and some weird um, enigmatic sites in Peru. Cause that's where he lives right now. So he, he researches stuff in Peru. Yeah. What's so. the, uh, what's the story with the skulls? Cause I'd heard two different versions. One was that they were real. And another one was that they were hoaxed. Are they in fact real? They are in fact real. 100%. Um, Brian Forrester actually has some actual skulls that he found that are sitting on his desk. So he's like, I, I mean, this is <laughs> like, <he's, laughs> like, this is it, you know? Um, they're 100% real. Now the, the biggest thing with the elongated skulls is people are thinking that these are artificially elongated, you know, cause what they would usually do ar- around that area is they would lay newborn babies down on a board and they put like a plank kind of triangular on their head. And they literally would lay this baby there for a couple of years. This baby would lay there for years and it would elongate its skull as it's developing. And then, you know, they'd take the boards off and the skull would just kind of keep going. But that is, you can easily see, uh, you, you know, it's obvious when they've done that, you know, their skulls are kind of really wonky and weird shaped and uneven and weird. Yeah. But, you know, the ones that are in Paracas, Peru specifically, which is right off, um, right off the coastline, they're, they're naturally elongated. There's no evidence of the boards being laid there or any type of binding. There's no binding evidence, uh, no like, you know, rope, yeah. you know. Uh, signatures there also what's interesting is that if you look at like my skull for example down the middle there's one suture that you know one crack that goes down the middle of your skull and then another crack that kind of half moons around the other side of your skull what's interesting about the paracas skulls is they don't have the middle suture it doesn't exist right it's only the half moon suture so why do only these paracas skulls not have a suture in the middle, not to mention they also all have two pinholes in the back of, on the very top of their skull and the very back, they have two little pinholes, almost as if they're performing brain surgery. Um, yeah. And that's found in almost all the Paracas skulls as well. 
Um, a lot of them still have hair. Some of them have red hair, which is uncommon for that area. A lot of people in that area have, you know, black hair. Um, but a lot of the Paracas skulls were redheads, which is very, <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah. Very strange. So lots of weird stuff going on with Paracas and it's all, you know, 100% real. It's just a matter of that. They don't know whether the elongated skulls is natural or if it's intentional. And, but I mean, yeah. Brian Forrester and, and many other researchers argue for the fact that that is natural. Yeah. Yeah. If they're natural though, that must mean that they're almost some sort of different species or, you know, something like that maybe, or yeah, obviously they were like a, a bloodline of say royalty, something like that, you know? Right. It's like, was it, was it like a genetic deformity, just a normal, you know, genetic disease that got passed down throughout, you know, that enclosed area or, you know, was it something different? I don't know where they, aliens people are like you know obviously they're putting on their tinfoil hats and you know going they're aliens you know yeah. but that's and that's because of like the the structures that are in Paracas Peru too the stuff that they were building I mean the the rock placement is is so exact that you can't even fit a piece of paper in between uh the you know the rock creases it's so exact and smoothly cut and it's it's incredible how they built the stuff on top of the elongated skulls. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh they weren't doing it with uh saws or diggers <laughs> or stuff like that. Like it's right, crazy right. to think how precise they were, how exact. Yeah. And that's the thing is that they're, you know, modern academia is arguing that they were using copper chisels and wooden hammers to do all of this. And it, mm. it you know, you can literally look up Dr. Zahi Hawass trying to do the, you know, for example, the the pyramid in Egypt, the great pyramid, it's uh, composed of 2.3 million blocks and was estimated to take about 20 to 23 years to complete the great pyramid. But the problem is, is that all 2.3 million blocks didn't even come from the Giza plateau. They actually came from 500 miles down the river, down the Nile river. So what they did is they cut and carved all these blocks and then traveled them 500 miles up the river by boat. And these are, you know, 20, 30 ton blocks, mind you. Um, good luck finding a boat at that time that could I do that because they haven't they haven't found a boat that could do that yet. Um, and uh, yeah, they were traveling 500 miles up the river, and they apparently did this in less than 20 years with 2.3 million blocks. It's <laughs> it, crazy, unless they had some sort of technology that allowed them to do it faster, you know, or or complete the task, you know. Um, and that's a big thing is that like ancient aliens, you know, is kind of taking the narrative of ancient technology and they're like, oh, it was aliens moving. It. And it's like, <laughs> no, they, they even twist Brian Forrester's words around. And I had a guy named Dr. Greg Little on who he talks about the existence of Atlantis. And um, that's something else that that I'm pretty passionate about. And he was on ancient aliens and he said he's never going to be back on there because they twisted and edited his words to say stuff that he didn't say. So now he sounds like a loony on there. Oh, man. Um, so he said, he's never going to go on ancient aliens. I think he said he even like filed a lawsuit or something against them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would definitely say no one watch ancient aliens for real information. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think in recent years, the discovery channel has leaned more towards entertainment than actual yep. exactly. scientific fact. Um, exactly. There's one other one I was thinking of. You've, you're surely interested in it. Atlantis. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What's I'm your very... theory on Atlantis? 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm of the idea that Atlantis was people hear the word Atlantis and they immediately are like, Whoa, you know, like that's crazy. That's that, you know, there's no, there's no city in the sea, you know, that sunk blah, blah, blah. The problem is, is that when you dig deeper into the story of Atlantis and then look at just, uh, you know, geograph uh, geography in general, um, you you can you can see in certain places around the world where an Atlantis type of civilization could have existed. Yeah. Like for example, um, the Rakat structure in Africa. That's actually in Mauritania, Africa, and um, it is. Uh, it's west of Egypt. It's about, it's like literally a whole state over from Egypt on the left. And uh, so the Rakat structure, Mauritania, it's about 23 kilometers in uh, um, diameter. And it's like a perfect circle. It's called the eye of Africa or the eye of the Sahara. Mm. And what's interesting about it is that it's covered in salt deposits. And that means that at some point it was filled with salt water, but it's in the middle of Africa. Like it's in the Sahara desert and it's, salt water like why is that there yeah unless the sea level was you know higher at some point and you know filled that that fissure in and it's uh, the ricot structure consists of three to four rings just like plato in his um in his Criteus and timaeus text describes uh atlantis being and not to mention there's elephant bones that are found in the ricot structure which plato states that's uh the story of atlantis uh, they they talk about how they had elephants and stuff, mm-hmm. and I guess I should put for context. So Plato obviously came up with the the story of Atlantis. Well, I'll get into that. He 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 wrote down the story of Atlantis, but how he got the story of Atlantis is a lot of people don't know this. Is his uh, relative Solon, who lived a couple hundred years before him, is like his great great grandfather or something. He was a, a lawmaker and he was a historian. So he wanted to learn more about how he could make uh, Greece a lot more of a, and specifically Athens, a, a lot more of like a civilized type of, you know, way to live. He wanted to make it more of a democracy. Yeah. So yeah. he figured I'm going to go to Egypt and I'm going to see what Egypt has going on and get some ideas from them. So he travels to Egypt and when he gets there, he gets to this place called, um, uh, I think it's called the temple of Isis, if I'm not mistaken. And he goes in there, the temple of Sais, that's what it is. It's the <laughs> temple of Sais. He goes in there. He talks to this guy called the Sanchez of Sais, and he's like a priest in there. And Sanchez tells him of a story of an ancient civilization that was west of Egypt. And it, um, you know, was an island and it sunk in a single day of misfortune from flooding. So Solon goes, wow, that's a cool story. He takes it back to Greece and he passes it down through the generations until it eventually lands in Plato's lap. And Plato decides to write this down. So it was oral tradition up until Plato got it. And Plato, yeah, so so technically that's what a lot of people don't know is that the story of Atlantis actually comes from Egypt. It doesn't even come from Plato itself. Um, a lot of people think, you know, his Cretaceous and Timaeus Texas, he just made it up off the top of his head. Yeah. And that's totally inaccurate. It's actually this Sanchez of Sayas guy. And this temple of Sayas doesn't even exist anymore. It's actually nothing but ruins now. So it's not like there's anything to like go back and check. Um, so he describes that uh, in a single day and night of misfortune, it was uh, sunken into the sea and it's no longer accessible by land. And 
so kind of going off that little bit of a tangent, 11,800 to 12,600 years ago, there was a massive cataclysm called the Younger Dryas um, Epoch. And that's basically when the uh, the planet went through a sudden cool down, froze everything, kind of a mini ice age. And then there was a sudden warm up almost overnight. The, the whole planet warmed up and it actually melted all these ice caps, which caused a massive flooding. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Over like the, uh, the African continent and a little bit in North America and South America. And um, for the most part, missed like Russia and that kind of area. And that was 12,800 to 11,600 years ago is what it was. And that's kind of the, the basis. A lot of things like the Rakat structure, there's actually artifacts that are found in the Rakat structure, for example. And um, some of these artifacts are dating back 10,000 plus years old. And that would be right about the epoch of the Younger Dryas. And if you look at the Rakat structure, you can actually see striations in the sand uh, you can go on Google Earth and type in Eye of Africa and literally see it right there. It's plain yeah. as day. And uh, you can see striations in the sand from Google Earth even, and it would show how flooding would go over that. And mm. um, yeah, this flooding would have been caused by either comet impact, which is what people like Randall Carlson are researching more. He's, he's a well-known geologist who's been studying the Younger Dryas for many years. And he's one of the, the whistleblowers on it. He's one of the guys who kind of you know brought it to attention kind of discovered it i guess you could say yeah um so it would have been either comet impact which they're thinking that's there could have been a comet that impacted um the west of greenland around that time and that that's actually because of ice caps melting they're actually seeing the crater now so it's theorized <laughs> that that could have been it or um people like dr robert shock who i mentioned about the sphinx he actually studies sun flare um activity over the past you know a couple million years also uh, and um he thinks that actually there was a massive sun flare that happened, which actually essentially vaporized the, the snow and, you know, turned it all into water. And there's evidence all around Egypt of uh, what look like literal granite statues that have melted. Um, and that <laughs> literally can't go. You, we don't have any technology that could have done that, let alone yeah. could have they, um, and it looks like what would have been some sort of, you know, radiation from the sun that would have melted it. Um, that's, evidence everywhere around earth with that. And Robert Schock's argument is that sun flares are far more common than comet impacts are. So, um, and we're actually overdue for a sun flare. So he said, you know, he's kind of claiming, <laughs> you know, don't be surprised if, you know, there's a sudden sun flare that wipes out all of humanity, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't be, surprised. no, no, don't worry. About it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, so yeah. Man. Um, Atlantis. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think it did exist just based off of, um, you know, there, there's just so much evidence around it. And, you know, if people want more evidence regarding evidence and ancient technology in general, you can check out my podcast on questionable with Calvin Smith. And I talk about it a ton. You can check out my Instagram where I post about stuff all the time. I'm on Facebook and TikTok. I post all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, I've, there, I've, I've got plenty of evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I always find it interesting though. It's like every civilization or every part of the world have their own version of Atlantis, you know? Yeah. Even Ireland, for instance, in the very early maps of Ireland, the very first map of Ireland, there was a, an island off the West coast that isn't there anymore. And the last sighting of it was in like 1890. 
someone wow. uh, wrote down that they could see it from the shore and there was clouds around it and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, that's we, cool. We can Google Earth now and there's nothing there. But uh, I was reading a thing on it that suggested that might be uh, Atlantis because there's yeah. evidence that thousands of years ago there was actually Egyptians and Greek people that had made it to Ireland. And yes, that's another thing I find fascinating that like, you never, when you're in school, you never get told that, you know, all oh, Egyptians made it around the world. Greeks made it around <laughs> yeah. the world, you know. You think everyone is like a self-contained little civilization. But when you look into it, we are, like everyone did actually mix and make it around. Exactly. But, uh, so they yeah. could have could have come over here and maybe that's what the inspiration for Atlantis was as well. Or, you know, exactly. I know South America has their version and there's history or there's evidence in all over the place for where yep. it could have been or what it was, you yep. know? And I, I plan on doing, actually, I, I've just been doing research for, you know, future episodes that I'm going to be recording. And there's this area called the Yonaguni monument that's off the coast of Okinawa, Japan. Hmm. And what's really crazy. It's literally about 16 feet underwater and it's straight up a pyramid. Um, there was a guy who was looking for hammerhead sharks. Um, hmm. And he dove in that area. Cause he thought this is going to be a good area for it. He dove. And there literally is a step pyramid, like on 16 feet under the water off the coast of Okinawa, Japan. And they call it the, the Yonaguni monument. There's pillars, you know, literally, I mean, it's, it's straight up a pyramid. And mm-hmm. um, once again, academia is like, this is natural, but <laughs> once, <laughs> trust me, I'm, co- I'm, I'm coming across some evidence that is, that is just demonstrable that it, it was man-made, you know, regardless of the age of it. It, it had to have been man-made and that's what I'm going to kind of go over in, in the podcast once I finish doing research for it, but it's, it's crazy. The evidence for it. Um, it's called the Yonaguni monument. That's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, Atlantis being in, in multiple locations and yeah, that's, that's, there's a guy um, who's researching it right now. His name is Dr. Kimura and mm. he is calling it Lemuria. Cause that's kind of like the, the Taiwan Atlantis, I guess. Uh, right, right. And um, yeah, going off also what you said about Egyptians traveling around the world. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people don't realize, did you know that there was Egyptian mummies found in the Grand Canyon? I actually didn't No. Yeah. Yeah. I actually found that out not too long ago. Literal Egyptian mummies, like in coffins and everything found in inside the Grand Canyon. Not to mention there was a, golden like a uh, head bust of uh, King Akhenaten and Queen Nefertiti that was also found in the Grand Canyon. Oh man. Um, <laughs> Egyptian pharaohs in in the in the Grand Canyon and this is 100% true. It's in the it was in the Kincaid's cave which is now off limits. You're not allowed to go in there because they also have Egyptian hieroglyphics in there. They found a golden tablet that had Egyptian hieroglyphics in the Grand Canyon. They also have an area called the Buddhist Temple in the Grand Canyon, and a lot of people don't realize that because it's also off-limits, and it has a statue of the Buddha in the Grand Canyon, and it's totally off-limits. You're not allowed to access it, but it is, in fact, there. You can Google it, and it comes up, but you can't can't visit it. Um, Why do they... Why were... Asians in America, you know, that, that long ago, why were Egyptians in, in there? You know, it's, it's crazy. And not to mention North of Chicago, there was a, um, Egyptian, like a, it's like a little coffin toy kind of, Mm. and, uh, it dates back to 
you know, about the, the old dynasty and it was found north of Chicago in Illinois. So why is this, this Egyptian artifact in Chicago? Yeah. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, Egyptians 100% were here before Columbus was, and they, you know, they, they were around. It's crazy. Yeah. But my thing is, is that why was everyone gathering in the grand Canyon? And that's kind of what I'm also going to be talking about too on my podcast that's a very is, good like, question, is there some significance with the grand canyon or something like because everything all these weird things are in this kincaid's cave and uh these buddhist temples and egyptian artifacts and it's like were they all gathering in there for some reason Ooh. weird stuff you surely heard that story then that there used to be an ancient civilization that lived in the in deep in the grand canyon have you i'm i'm sure i have i think it sounds familiar so i'm sure i have but I'm not yeah. sure. Might uh, might pop up when you're looking into the mummies and everything. Right, right. So how do you actually um how do you pick topics for the podcast? Then is it just stuff that you are naturally interested in, or does does listeners send you in a topic that they want you to cover, or what way does it work? Well, people are are welcome to message. You know, if they have something that they want to know more about, but they're too you know lazy to look it up themselves. <laughs> I'm, I, I love looking up that type of stuff. So literally send it to me and I'll look it up and I'll make probably make an episode on it or a TikTok or something, you know, I'll do mm. something with it more if I find it interesting, but yeah, a lot of the stuff that I do on my podcast is just stuff I'm interested in. Like, like I said, um, I was into ancient technology and stuff before I had my podcast and I had so much information was just like writing papers and stuff on it, but wasn't like doing anything with it. I was just writing it down and putting it in a file on my laptop. Hmm. Um, then one day I just was like, you know what? I got to do something with this. I'm going to do something. So I, I decided to do my podcast and I, I used to be one of those tinfoil hat guys who thought like Hillary Clinton was a reptile and you know, <laughs> right. Justin Bieber is a reptile and, you know, reptilians are ruling the Illuminati. And then, you know, I read the Bible also in my early twenties and cause I wasn't sure what I believed in religiously. And so hmm. read the Bible and um, by the end of it, I was atheist by the time I got, you know, to the end of it. And yeah. um, so that I also try to incorporate into my podcast because um, I like to promote positive atheism. And I practice this um, this method called street epistemology, which is a Socratic method of questioning to where you can get to the basis of what people believe and why they believe it. And it's just basically asking questions is all it is. It's just knowing what questions to ask. And um, I plan on doing a lot more with street epistemology and on my podcast. And that's kind of how I interview people too, is that if you have a belief of something like I had um, someone who believed the earth was, was flat. So I interviewed right. them. Um, and uh, she, I don't, I don't think she, I don't think she likes me anymore, but um, <laughs> right. I tried, I tried, but, um, and then I had um, Anthony Magnabosco, who is the executive director of Street Epistemology International. He used to be the president. And um, I've been watching his videos for years. And he's kind of the inspiration for why I wanted to interview people about mm. what they believe and why they believe it. Um, I haven't had anyone religious on my podcast, you know, to, to talk to and get to the basis of why they believe what they believe. Because um, I think a lot of people think that as an atheist, I'm, I'm just going to be like a firebrand atheist and, you know, yell and scream at you and call you stupid or something, which... Um, you know, that's not, that's not at all, you know, what street epistemology is. And that's what a, a big misconception is that street epistemology is just asking questions, not enforcing my belief on anybody or calling you stupid or anything. And so anyone religious who wants to be interviewed and what you believe and why you're welcome to message me pretty much anywhere. You know, we can set something up. 
that'll actually be very interesting. But yeah. I find a lot of religious people are, get very defensive when they're asked questions about yes. the religion. So it might exactly. be tricky to, to make exactly. Happen. And that's the thing with street epistemology is that you, you want to right off the bat, you want to ensure them that, you know, this isn't a gotcha card. It isn't, you know, uh, you know, to make you feel stupid and there's not going to be any hard feelings walking away. Um, I just want to know, you know, people don't realize what they believe until they say it out loud a lot of the times, you know, so you may say, you know, do you believe Jesus Christ walked on water? And they say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ walked on water. And then you say, okay, so you're telling me that you believe that a man who was the who who you believe is the embodiment of God based off of what the Bible says or you know whatever they may have told you. Mm. You believe this man walked on water. Do you know have have you ever heard of anyone else walking on water? You know so it's kind of just just putting Anthony Magnabosco puts it as putting pebbles in people's shoes. So it's just kind of getting people to kind of think like why do i believe this you know yeah. and uh, think logically kinda, about it yeah exactly kind of kind of thinking logically so it's a lot about critical thinking and um yeah so i like to do that and i'm actually hoping to get the stuff together so i can actually go to like a local park and actually talk to random people as they're walking around you know to do actual in-person street epistemology so yeah sounds very interesting but yeah that's that's kind of kind of why i decided to do the podcast because i just i I have so many interests, you know, I like to talk about religion, ancient technology, and, you know, then I'm just a history nerd in general. And then I used to be a big alien guy. So I, I kind of, you know, like to incorporate that into my podcast, but obviously I'm a skeptic now because I read the Bible. I don't, it, it, it I was like, if I have to be skeptical about the Bible, I have to apply that same skepticism to all of my beliefs. And so I yeah. applied it to my Bigfoot belief. Do I have reasonable evidence to believe in Bigfoot? No, I don't currently, but I'm still open to it. Do mm. I have reasonable evidence for ghosts? No, but I'm open to it and someone can present it to me on my podcast. Do I have reasonable evidence for aliens? No. You know, like we have UFOs, which I'm totally willing to, you know, say, yes, they're UFOs. They are unidentified flying objects. Once you jump the gun and say that it's alien, that's when you draw the line because we yeah. don't know. It's unidentified. So you can't say it's alien. Yeah, so. yeah. I don't know. Maybe someday we'll finally, uh, they'll finally let us know that they are aliens. <laughs> right, know. right. Right. Yeah. Um, I could literally sit here talking for hours to you about stuff like this, but uh, yeah. we better get onto your music. <laughs> let the yeah. Listeners. yeah, I guess that's the point of the show, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is. But seriously, I could have went on for, I could sit here all day. But uh, Shoot, I find maybe that you'll stuff, have to come on my show. We can just yeah, <laughs> you can just talk about stuff. <laughs> Probably like a nine-hour episode, right? <laughs> but um, do you want to tell the listeners a bit about your music then? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been playing guitar for uh, since I was about eight, nine years old. Is when my when my stepdad, because my stepdad is kind of the big musical guy. Um, for me, I wasn't really in on music or anything. I liked listening to country music when I was a kid, hmm. but when I was nine, my stepdad came into my life and he was a little bit of a guitarist. He's, you know, was amateur at the time, but he had a couple guitars and I thought it was cool. So, um, I picked it up. I played it for maybe a year or two and, uh, it, it wasn't jarring with me. So I, I put it down, picked up drum sets instead, practiced with the drums for a year or two. Um, once again, wasn't really feeling it with the, with the drums. 
So I traded in my drums, got a new guitar. And uh, uh, then ever since then, that was when I was so about 11 or 12 is when I started seriously picking up guitar. I'm all self-taught. I've never had any type of lessons of any sort. Um, so, you know, YouTube videos and just sitting there in, in my room for hours on end, just picking and plucking things. Mm. And uh, yeah, so that was about when I was 11 or 12. And I started singing when I was about uh, about 16 or so. Um, I decided I wanted to do the school talent show one year. And so I went, I went to school and you know, was just going to do a cover of crazy train, you know, the whole song, just, um, you know, rocking it on guitar, just no vocals or anything. So I did that. Didn't really like it. Um, you know, cause I was like, it's missing something. It's missing something. And so I, I was like, maybe I just need to start singing. Maybe I, I should try to sing this and play it at the same time. Yeah. Well, that didn't work out. <laughs> so, so I decided to put down the electric guitar a little bit and pick up more acoustic guitar. And uh, that's when, you know, the guitar that's sitting behind me now, that's, that's when I've had, I, that's the first guitar I bought with my own money, saved up money for it, got it on my own. And um, yeah, I've, I've been singing pretty much ever since. And now I'm, I like to think I'm, I'm more of a singer than I am a uh instrumentalist you know i'm i'm a yeah. lot better <laughs> singer but you know i can still rock on the guitar and you know know a couple things and um right now my laptop's sitting on my piano and then i have another piano out there that i think around on so i like to play with a couple other things um but my original song empty room came out earlier this year um i decided i'd been writing you know a couple songs for a year or so and then i was just like i need i need i want to publish one you know because I, I was honestly my mental health was a little you know, not too good at the time. And so I figured, you know, I need to do something to feel accomplished. I didn't have my podcast at the time. So, uh, this is about two or three months before my podcast. So I was like, I'm just going to record something. So I, I talked to one of my buddies who's trying to start up an audio, you know, business and went to his house and, you know, we, we recorded the song in a couple sessions and, uh, yeah, it's called empty rooms out on all, all platforms. And it's, it's a song that I, I tried to, at the time I was, you know, once, as, as I said, I was, I was depressed. Um, so that kind of comes through on the song, you know, it's kind of a mellow chill. Um, it's, you know, I wanted it to rock a little bit just because that's how, how I am. So I wanted a little bit of, of rock in it, you know, cause we kind of talked about just doing it acoustic for a while. But then I was like, no, nah, man, I gotta have them drums in there. I gotta, I gotta, so I didn't play the drums for it. Actually the, the producer, Kyle, uh, Kyle coach, he actually, um, you know, did the drums, he did the bass, yeah. um, he did the piano, like he rocked it. So, I mean, uh, once again, check out Kyle, um, Kyle Kush audio, seriously, check him out. If, if you want any, if you're in Michigan and you need audio work done, cause he does an awesome job and he's got his own band called up all hours that he jams with too. But, uh, yeah, yeah. We, I, I really tried on that song. And then after that, I was like, man, I got to start writing more music, you know, cause people, yeah. people liked it. I had a lot of friends that were like, heck yeah, man, I like this. I like the song. So I, I started writing more and I've got, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 songs written up now um, that I just, you know, I'm trying to get, I just bought this house and everything. So I'm trying to get everything straightened around. And then I want to get back into the studio and record either an EP or maybe a full album of some sort. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, money, money is a thing. So got to, got priorities <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> and exactly. uh so hopefully sooner than later i'm pro probably not till maybe mid to late next year that i wouldn't even be able to get into the studio yeah. but yeah that's that's i play you know i started off kind of country i play like kind of 
indie rock, alt rock type of vibe, I guess. But a couple of these songs that I've been writing sound more, more like pop, but kind of nice. like them. So <laughs> <laughs> good eclectic mix. So yeah. Do you, uh, do you find it hard to, to write songs? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, like I, I can, my thing is I'll sit down with the guitar and I'll say, okay, you know, the next thing that I play on this, I'm going to write it down into my book, which is sitting off in the corner. It's like, I'm going to just write, I'm just going to put my finger somewhere and start plucking something until it sounds good. And then I'm going to write it down. And then I, you know, br- branch off of that. Um, yeah. So coming up with the music itself, I can do that pretty easily. I can come up with a rhythm and, you know, uh, I can, I can hear the the drums and the bass and I can hear everything in my head. Yeah. It's just the melody, the, the, the vocal melody that I have the biggest trouble with. Um, so like, for example, my song empty room, it's, if I'm being honest, I, it's, it sounds a little flat. But right. um, that's kind of the vibe that I wanted for it at the same time. Like my vocals sound a little flat. It's kind of the vibe I wanted. Um, but and that's also just kind of how my voice is when I sing too. But uh, I, I I have a hard time coming up with lyrics for sure. I like, I'll write down something and then like, you know, go on to like another song a couple pages later. And it's like, man, this sounds like the exact same song I was just writing. <laughs> But right. just with a slightly different guitar riff. So I, I kind of feel like um, I write a lot of sad songs. So I'm trying to work on writing my happy songs. Um, <laughs> but it's frankly just easier for me to write sad stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've heard before. What is it? There's a famous saying. I could get it wrong now, but sad songs sell and happy yeah. songs don't sell as well or something, you know? Right. So right. You could be onto something with the sad songs. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um who would um is there any major influences you have? Is there anyone that you looked at and made you think, yeah, that's what I want to do? I I'm gonna pick up the guitar, start writing music. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is um, you know, I mentioned I picked up guitar seriously when I was about eleven or twelve. And at that same time, um my buddy invited me to go see the band Disturbed in concert. Right. Um, so I went and saw them at, you know, at 12 years old was moshing with, with disturbed. And I went to that concert was like, yes, I need to do this. And I Mm. came home, traded in my drum set for a guitar. And there we go. You know? So, so it kind of, kind of was because of disturbed just rocked so hard. Like, I mean, I want to see them again. They were so awesome. And um, I just wanted to do that. But my vocal inspiration mostly comes from uh, a guy named Alan stone and he, uh, he's like an R and B soul singer. Right. But uh, so, so what happened is I was, you know, kind of learning to sing and singing a lot of country songs. Um, Cause country is just the easiest to sing and it's the easiest stuff to learn. It's very repetitive. So it's, it's pretty easy to learn. And I came across Alan stone doing a cover of the song sex and candy by Marcy playground. And it was just an acoustic cover of him in the forest doing it. And his voice, it, it's just incomparable. Like it's, it's so great, (laughs) such an amazing vocal range. And, um, not to mention that he can just absolutely shred on the acoustic guitar. Like he's just an amazing musician in general. And I heard him and was like, Oh my God, I want to sing like that guy. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's what I did is I just was listening to his music on repeat, watching his videos on repeat and started, uh, you know, watching like YouTube vocal, you know, exercises and lessons yeah. um, just so I could sound do the the things that Alan so not necessarily sound like Alan Stone, but just be able to do the things he was able to do with his voice. I was like, that's just incredible. Hmm. Um, and I like to think now I actually do pretty well at it when I'm <laughs> when I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, when no one's watching, you know, as is, is when I sound the best, of course. Um yeah. but yeah, he's he's definitely at the moment, definitely the inspiration. Um for why I even continue to write music and for a lot of the music that I, I currently write is, is definitely um, because of Alan Stone. He's, he's just an, he's an awesome guy. He writes awesome music. And um, you know, I, I hope I'm trying to go see him in concert. He's actually going to be coming to Michigan in December. So I, I might be, oh, might wow. have to try to get some VIP tickets. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be dead uh, if you could get backstage and meet him. Pick his right. Brand right. Like, oh my gosh, that'd be so awesome. And uh, yeah, he actually just came out with like a, a re-release album. It's called Apart. And um, he like re-released all of his biggest, what he called his um, most powerful songs and the songs that he truly put his all into and all of his heart. And it's just a raw acoustic, you know, no editing whatsoever. It's just raw audio of him singing his most popular songs. And it's like his just raw audio is just, crazy he doesn't even need editing um <laughs> oh, so yeah i mean definitely check out alan stone <laughs> for sure because his he is an awesome musician he writes some bangers for sure i'll definitely have to check him out i've never actually heard of him before believe it or yeah. not but uh i'll definitely have to binge his uh his back yeah catalog. for sure yeah so um have you played many gigs then i've played a couple um so there's you know, as I mentioned, my first gig was the talent show. You know, I, I got up there and I, I did the electric guitar thing and, you know, that didn't work out. Then the next year, I actually played this acoustic guitar in the background and um, I sang uh, A Great Day to Be Alive by Travis Tritt and um, it's a country song. And so I sang that up on stage and that was like my first gig, you know, and after I did that, I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I can definitely do this. And so I picked up singing way more after that. And I played at, um, I did a couple open mics at um, this place called Road Rangers. That's in, I think it's Taylor, Michigan. And they have open, you know, uh, it's like open jam night. So anyone with any instrument, no instrument, you can just, you know, go up and they have a whole stage of lights. You know, it's like the whole setup and oh, it's, it's pretty legit. And they get a pretty big crowd in there. So um, I went up there. I expected only to play one song. And then I got encored five more times. And <laughs> so, so I was up there for like an hour. And I was only supposed to be up there for 10 minutes. But they were like, this is fine. You know, that's cool. You can be up there. Um, yeah. And then uh, besides that, I um, I was supposed to play at this place called Club Canton. Um, that's off Michigan Avenue. But me and the owner couldn't cooperate on um, on, on a set Right. So, um, you know, we were like, yo, let's do the first of September. And then we agreed on it. And then the day before he changed it. And then, you know, that happened like five or six times. And so I had to, you know, I just, sorry, I can't, can't do that. Um, you know, and so then I, I did play at this place called Benders. That's also on Michigan Avenue. It's right down the street. And, um, I played, uh, probably I played one set there, which was, uh, it was about 15, 16 songs is what I played. 
and uh you know it's that's a smaller bar than mm. club canton and um road rangers is but you know it was still crowd and still got to sing a little bit um they wanted me to sing something because uh, they're typically kind of more of a country bar so they they have a guy up there named sean who sings country songs and so they're like hey can you come here and sing some rock songs you know kind of switch right. it up a little bit so yeah so i sang probably 75 well, 80, about 80 percent rock songs and then the other you know i had a couple country songs because i mean i have to sing some country songs that's what yeah. i do <laughs> yeah exactly and uh i just i love singing some of my favorite songs are country songs so yeah i have to have to sing those but yeah besides that um it's all i've got as far as professional gigs go i like to busk every now and then you know i'll go down to like the park or something you know my guitar and sing a couple songs for people um you know stuff like that but uh, and i'm like the designated campfire song guy so like if i go to a campfire <laughs> calvin's got to bring his guitar because if he doesn't then i'm gonna get you know cussed out and <laughs> so so literally everywhere i go i just bring my guitar now because there's 99.9 percent of the time there's that one person who's like did calvin bring his guitar to play some songs and it's only the one time that i don't bring it that I, is when i need it though yeah so. <laughs> yeah i gotcha <laughs> what uh what can people expect when they come to see you play well, um, I like, so as obviously I'm, I'm a bit of a history nerd and, you know, I'm, uh, I once upon a time, I wanted to be a comedian. So, you know, I guess either way I was going to get behind the microphone somehow, whether it's podcasting comedy or, you know, singing or whatever. So you can definitely expect uh, some jokes. I like writing, you know, some jokes and, you know, throwing a couple jokes out, uh, you know, whenever I can and, you know, kind of, you know, liven up the, you know, I like dad jokes. So be prepared <laughs> for dad jokes. Um, yeah. cause I like the cheesiness of them. <laughs> and, um, I also will throw out some like facts about history, you know, too. I might, you know, throw out, you know, you know, did you know that the Egyptian pyramids, you know, contain 2.3 million blocks each in each pyramid, there's 2.3 million blocks. So that equates to 9.9 million blocks throughout all of them. So like, that's, it's a lot. So, you know, I'll throw out like, you know, a couple, you know, just blips like that before I go on to the next song or, um, you know, I'll interact with the crowd. Maybe someone has a song that, uh, you know, I might know, or maybe I can, I know vocally, but I don't know on the guitar. Maybe I can figure out the chords for it up there, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I'll throw, throw a song out, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I try to keep it live. And, uh, when I have space to move around, <laughs> I'll move around, but like with benders, for example, it was like a very, I was outside and it was on a patio. So it was like a very confined area. So I, I was literally standing there with my guitar like this the whole time, <laughs> like all the equipment's like right up here next to me. And I'm like, you know, but <laughs> so when I have room to move around, I'm energetic and, and like to move around, jump around yeah. and, you know, get the, get the crowd interacting and dancing if I can. Yeah. So, I love that you uh, you crack a few jokes, you tell a few facts, but yeah. uh, I love the audience interaction. I think I personally feel like the audience interaction is just as important as the songs. Absolutely. You know, I hate when you go to see someone and it's just into one song after the next yep. and it's like they're ignoring the audience. You know, it's exactly. not fun. You might as well just stick on a CD, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, because it's it's that's a good example as to one of the bars that I went to and I, I was going to play there, but ended up not going there. Um, I went there and, you know, was listening to the musician that they had and, you know, he was just no, no, barely any pause in between any of the songs. He wasn't like making eye contact with anybody. He wasn't, mm. you know, he just was singing. He wasn't saying, Hey, I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be right back. He just yeah. stopped singing, put his guitar down, <laughs> walk away, you know? And it's like, 
it's just a weird vibe. You know, it's like you're up there mm-hmm. presenting yourself to people. So wouldn't you want to give off a good impression? You exactly. know, wouldn't you want people to check you out? So, you know, I'll throw out my podcast name, like, Hey, you want to hear my voice more, but not singing, you know, check out my podcast here. And, you know, I'll carry around like little, um, uh, little business cards with like my email and my yeah. Uh, yeah. social medias and stuff on it. And, you know, I'll hand that to people and I'll set them up at the tip jar so that people can grab one as they're walking by or something. Yeah. So, you know, you want to, why even get up there and sing if you don't want to, you know, people to continue to listen to you? Because that's the whole point is I want to get up there, sing for you. You can listen to my music and listen to my podcast and, you know, come back and listen again. <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Convert them into a fan. Right. Have you, uh, have you ever thought of doing live streams or? I've tried doing live streams a couple times. Um, sometimes I'll like stream on YouTube and, or, um, Facebook, you know, I'll, I'll live stream there. Like as far as music stuff goes, I'll stream on Facebook stuff. I don't have a huge following, um, on, on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. I mean, Instagram, it's a little bit larger. It's, uh, it's only like a thousand followers, nothing crazy. Um, and, um, I would like to do live streams on TikTok, for example, but I don't have enough uh, followers on TikTok. You need like a thousand followers or something on TikTok to live stream. Really? I, I yeah, I, I learned that. Apparently, you need like a thousand followers before you can even start live streaming. That's a bit odd. Yeah, super weird. So I'm trying to get to a thousand followers so that I can live stream my music and my podcast stuff and interact yeah. with people. So Follow me on TikTok at Unquestionable Calvin, <laughs> and you can literally live stream and talk to me. You know, as yeah. soon as I get to a thousand followers, I will 100% do that. I would love to do that. Um, but yeah, and then for my podcast page, you know, I'll, um, you know, once in a while on Facebook, I'll do like a live stream talking questions or just ranting about something or, um, you know, related to the podcast, obviously. Hmm. Um, and I'll do the same thing on Instagram. And, you know, I'm once again, I'm on literally all social media platforms. So, I mean, you can find plenty of content, whether it's music or podcast related pretty much anywhere. If you look for me. Yeah. Yeah. Say they both explode the podcast and the music. They explode at the same time. Take off. Which one would you choose? If you could only focus on one, it's a bit of a tough question. I know. My heart would probably go for music, to be really? honest, um, because that's like, that's my first love, you know, mm. it was like, I wasn't like into anything as a kid. My dad was a real big car guy, but I never got into cars as a kid. And, you know, once my stepdad came into my life at nine, he introduced me to music, mm. you know, and, and learned to appreciate music. Um, and like, wow, you know, like, he's like, you know, listen to the song, but like, listen to the song do you hear the lyrics do you hear the drum beat in the background do you hear that bass back there you know like he really listening to it um really take it in yeah and just appreciating it and so music is is my love so if you know if my podcast blew up for example but my music didn't and then five years down the line my music blew up i would drop the podcast Cause I would, I would go for, you know, music. That's always going to be where my heart lies. Um, Cause I feel like there's always going to be something I can give for the podcast as far, or I'm sorry for the, for the, for music, but for the podcast, um, 
I love it. I love talking about it. And I'm never going to stop talking about it. Like no matter what I was posting on Facebook, just random weird posts. People thought I was crazy before I started my <laughs> podcast. And I'm like, no, I got to start my podcast. So let you understand what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I would always go towards the music for sure, because it's, it's, you know, I can always talk about ancient technology and history and everything, but all in all, I don't have my degree. You know, I'm not an expert, so to say, I don't, you know, I'm not an archeologist. I don't have any, uh, I guess anything in the game, I guess necessary. I'm more so just kind of repeating, um, you know, peer reviewed papers and, um, you know, other people's opinions and kind of stating my opinions more. Um, but you know, once again, I'm not, I'm not an expert. Um, and you know, I like to talk about history and, or, um, religion and atheism and stuff, but you know, once again, you know, you can only go so far with that. You can only say you're an atheist so many times. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) you know, um, music is, is definitely, where I would go all, all in all, you know, and my, my yeah. wife agrees. She was like, you know, if, if all else fails, you should focus on the music all in all because, um, well, you, know, you can she, do she, more with the music. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I can do more with it. And, you know, if I explode with music, you know, be like Tom DeLong from, from Blink-182, you know, he blew up in music and now he's an alien nerd, <laughs> you know, now, now he literally <laughs> runs like a space company or something. He doesn't even do music anymore. So it's like, even yeah. if something like that were to happen, you know, where I get famous with music, and then turn to something like that in the future. But uh, yeah, mu- like music is never, I don't plan on never dropping music. <laughs> yeah, good. That's good to hear anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Bit of a, a random one now. If you could write a song that could sell 500 million copies or influence 500 mu- other musicians, which one would you pick? I would say influence 500 other musicians. Really? Sure. Yes, I would. Um, Cause I, I'm a teacher, you know, I let's, that's what I like to do. I like to learn history and teach it to other people. And I have, um, you know, childcare and education in my, you know, um, professional background. So, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with actually teaching. <laughs> right, right. And so I would love to pass my knowledge and uh, what what I know, what I've learned off to other people so that they can succeed. You know, that's, that's what I like to do. Um, I don't, I don't have plans to be some multimillionaire musician, but if it comes to me, cool, you know, like obviously yeah. I'm not going to turn it down, <laughs> but if I can pass that off to you and then you become a multimillion, you know, uh, multimillion dollar musician, and then, you say, you know, Hey, I listened to this guy named Calvin Smith, you know, while you're on CNN or whatever, you know, that he says, yeah, I listen to this guy named Calvin Smith and he really inspired me, you know, that it helps me out. You know, you, I help you out. You help me out. You yeah. know, it's, and you know, once again, I'm not even expecting people to do that, but I'm just for context, you know, that, that would, you know, that's, that's what I would like to do for music. And for example, Alan stone, you know, Alan stone inspired me. And so I mentioned Alan stone, and uh, maybe one day, you know, he'll see it and say, hey, wow, this this Calvin guy, he rocks. And, you know, he mentioned me. Cool. I'm glad I could inspire people. And, like, that's yeah. all I want is to inspire other people. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. It is uh, the better choice. Yeah. And obviously the, the more honest choice as well. I Absolutely. feel like um, I feel like people who aren't really 
in it for the love of music would pick the the money side, you know, the 500 exactly. million. They right. only want to get in, make, become famous, stuff like that. But I feel right. like the true musician who actually music would actually mean something to them would want to inspire people. Absolutely. I totally yeah. agree. Yeah. We'll, um, we'll get on to the last couple of questions. So yeah, if you could see any musician from history, living or dead in concert for one night only, who would it be? Ooh, Ooh that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> huh. That's, that's a really hard one. I mean, first one that comes to mind um, is either Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix. Um, oh, yeah. That would, that would be, or, I mean, even I, Joe Satriani would be pretty, pretty dope too. Um, you know, cause they were like, I listened to them and they were like, you know, they are just incredible musicians. Yeah. Um, and you know, Eric Clapton is a big, um, inspiration to me as to, and actually right behind me, I have an Eric Clapton record sitting directly behind the computer there. And he, he kind of inspired me to get more into, uh, you know, finger style playing, you know, cause he does yeah. a lot of that. And so I was like, wow, you know, how is he making those sounds? And, you know, talking to my stepdad, he says, you know, he uses his fingers, you know, that's, that's how he gets, you know, these individual notes. So, uh, he, you know, Eric Clapton is even an inspiration to me as far as that aspect. So I would honestly, I'd probably go Eric Clapton, honestly. Yeah. Not a bad choice. I love how all three of them are like legendary guitar players. Right. Yeah. I know. They don't even really sing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, his singing is, is okay. Yeah. Let's just say <laughs> guitar playing is dope, but as a singer, he's a great guitarist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, the next one, if you could spend 24 hours in a room with any musician from history, living or dead, who would it be? Mm, another hard one. I would say, honestly, probably Phil Collins. Really? Okay, uh, from Genesis. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually like me and my wife are seriously the biggest Phil Collins fans. You, I mean, <laughs> love right. Phil Collins. He's seriously so underrated. Um, mm. I, I, we both saw him in concert. I think last year we saw him in concert and his, uh, his concert name was still not dead yet to her. Um, Cause he's like 80 something years old. You know, he literally was yeah. sitting in a chair with a cane, the whole concert in the middle. of the stage. Oh, He's so old. He only stood up for one song. He stood up for in the air tonight, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, s- spending the day with him. Cause I mean, his songs and his, um, the, the way he writes his songs, he has such an interesting sound to not only in Genesis, but in his, you know, solo stuff, um, his self-titled stuff. It's, it's really interesting. So I'd love to sit down and talk to Phil Collins. Yeah. That, that is actually one I haven't had before on the podcast. Really? I haven't had that answer before. It's an interesting one. I, yeah. I wouldn't blame you. I could see why you could pick him. Yeah. I, um, I also love him as an actor. He's a really good actor. Did you ever see that um, film Buster? He did. No, I never saw that. Oh, you have to check it out. It's uh, really? about, there was this big train robbery in England in like 1962. And he plays one of the robbers. It's a really good movie. Really? Huh. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to watch that. Do, do. You won't be disappointed. Huh. So um, the next one, then the final one, 
If there was a song that could appear on the soundtrack to your life, what would it be? Hmm. So one that comes to mind is um yeah I, I, the the one that comes to mind is either it, they're both Alan Stone songs and um one is called Chipping Away it's more of a uh uppity type of song you know it's just basically about uh, you know the daily grind waking up drinking your coffee grinding away you're chipping away and you know getting back to bed and you know you're chip chip chipping away and uh so so that's kind of you know that's what i do i'm a hard worker and um i like to keep myself busy all the time <laughs> whether i'm at work if i'm not at work i'm at home doing home repairs if i'm not doing home repairs i'm writing music if i'm not doing music i'm studying history if i'm not doing history i'm on another podcast you know i'm literally always doing something um and i'm just chipping away chipping away getting you know as much money as I can, you know, <laughs> pinching <laughs> pennies where I can. But other than that, his he has another song um, called Circle, and it's it's a, a lot more of a it's 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 a chill song. It's it sounds a little sad, but it's um, you know another song comes up as Bed I Made by him, and I'll talk about that. But Circle is more of you know just kind of you know, it's, it's being really open with yourself and with your feelings and being able to, um, you know, be humble and realize, you know, when you're in the wrong and, uh, you know, realize where you can improve and what you can do better. Um, that's kind of what he talks about in the song circle. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm always striving to do better and be a better person and, you know, um, you know, do, do what I can for, my family and for my community. And so the, the song relates to me. And so I yeah. sing that song a lot. Um, and it almost makes me emotional because it's, it's, it's a really great song. He actually added that on to his, uh, his new album where he like released the raw songs. Oh, no. That's, that's one of the songs that he, he re-released and he sings it raw. And it's like last night, me and my wife listened to it. And I was, I was just about crying because of how, <laughs> how just great it is just as pure vocals. Yeah. Um, but then he also has a song called bed. I made, um, and that's um, basically, you know, he at, at the end of the day, all your worries, you know, need to be put in the past. You know, you can't it, put every all the bad thoughts in the past. You don't need to hang on to that um, mm. once you you can have a crappy day. But once you get in bed and you lay down, you close your eyes, you can forget about everything that happened that day and start over new the next day and make it a better day. Um and you know make it better for you and for others as well um so that's that's you know the whole point of that song as well so that you know resonates with me because you know i i don't like to hang on to things i don't hold grudges for with people you know i can have you know a debate like for example you know on my podcast i had robin who i had my you know talked about um the earth being flat you know Mm -hmm. she was arguing that the earth was being flat and you know we had a little bit of a disagreement at the end but you know at at the end you know before we hung up you know you say you know despite all of our disagreements you know love you Mm, (laughs) yeah you know we just agree to disagree you know and you just you learn to you know put disagreements aside and and just um you know life life is short there's no point in holding grudges or anything so when you go to bed at night just you know move on so those are three songs that that really resonate with me for sure. So it's kind of a toss up between those ones. Yeah. No, they're great picks and great messages behind them as well. Yeah. So um, before I let you go, is there a message you'd like to leave the listeners with? Um, well, uh, I guess you can check out my podcast. 
Unquestionable with Calvin Smith. It's available on all streaming platforms and on YouTube, Unquestionable Podcast, or you can just type it into Google Unquestionable Podcast, and I'm you know pretty much the whole page. Um, you can check me out on TikTok and all social media platforms as well. And then uh, my music, you can check out uh, Empty Room on Spotify and all other streaming platforms, and it's also on YouTube. And uh, give that a listen, share it with your friends and family. If you're interested in being a guest on my podcast, when I get back from my hiatus, you can email me at calsmithmusicinfo at gmail.com and we can try to set up an interview so we can talk about what you believe and why you believe it. Um, Or if you're interested in having a debate with me, I'm totally open to actually having a formal debate with somebody too on really any topic at all. And I'd be willing to do that. I think that'd be interesting to do with the podcast. So if you want to have a, I don't know, do you believe in God? Do you want to debate on it? let's go. But <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty much it. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for when I get back to recording, uh, podcasts. I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know if it, it, it may not even be until beginning of next year. Um, but I'm going to try, you know, to get back as soon, sooner than later.
Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, rate and review us on iTunes. Find us and follow us on your favourite podcast player of choice. And of course, you can now rate the podcast on Spotify. You can find us on all social media at Concerts That Made Us Podcast. And of course, don't forget to check out the website at www.concertsthatmadeus.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by signing up at patreon.com forward slash concerts that made us. So now, all that's left to say is, happy holidays. I hope everyone has a great Christmas, and I'll talk to you next week. Keep rocking. Hey. Hey, what are you guys still doing there? The show's over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.